0: I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on, check and I've been torn,
1: but I'm keeping on, keeping on, check and I've been broken. Good afternoon, good evening, this is Joe Cusman and you're back on Equal Footing. Hope those we're celebrating had a good holiday season, back to work, back to reality, We're going to talk about a painful aspect of reality tonight, eating disorders. You know, this affects about 10% of the global population. One in 10 people have a significant eating disorder in their lifetime. There are lots of types of eating disorders. We'll, We'll hear about that tonight. We're going to talk about a particular one that is An increased awareness in recent years, particularly in the observant Jewish community, emotional eating. But first, let's talk a bit more about the stats. You know, it's eating disorders are somewhat affected by genetic heritability. Something in the vicinity of 50% are genetically oriented or based. Half are not, they're acquired. About one out of four people that have an eating disorder in their life will attempt suicide at a much higher rate than the general population. There's enormous economic cost of eating disorders. It affects people's work lives. It affects people's productivities. It's intricately connected to mental health. You know, if you listen to this program for some time, one of the things we try to do is open up about difficult topics and mental health-related topics in specific. Nothing to be ashamed about, nothing to shy away from. These are injuries that, while not visible, are are wounds that are real. And by talking about them, we help heal them. It isn't just about talking about them. I'm sure we'll hear from one of our guests tonight who engages to some extent in, in therapeutics or advice on this topic, but it's an important step. Without addressing an issue, you can't solve an issue. So let's talk. Let me introduce our guests first, and then we'll get into what emotional eating is. We're not trying tonight to cover every aspect of the spectrum of eating disorders. In future shows, I think we'll cover other areas. We're joined tonight by Tanya Rosen. Tanya is the owner of Nutrition by Tanya. She has 12 locations in New York, New Jersey, and Israel. She is also the owner of the healthy food line called TAP, which includes meals and snacks. One of Tanya's specialties and passions is the topic of emotional eating, which she gives workshops on and writes about. Having kept off 50 pounds, which she gained, but has kept for almost 18 years, Tanya understands the struggles people face and can relate to this topic on a personal level. Tanya, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for joining.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: We are also joined by Megan Pasnick. Megan, I salute you for your courage in being on the air, talking about this from a lived experience perspective. Megan has struggled to lose weight her whole life, but she couldn't. She has had, she has had the disease of compulsive overeating. That means that once she starts to eat her trigger foods, primarily sugar, she can't stop. Megan's been an Overeaters Anonymous for 45 years. And even in the Overeaters Anonymous program, which is based on the Alcoholics Anonymous protocol, she has had a very hard time as she's tried to stop binge eating. Megan relied on sugar to change her life and change her feelings. Now she's been maintaining a 50-pound weight loss for more than 20 years, and recently lost another 10 pounds to make a 60-pound weight loss. Her book, Cake, question mark, or Life, question mark, details the changes Megan had to make in order to lose weight and keep it off. Megan is also a member of our community, the observant Jewish community, not to the exclusion of those listeners who are not observant or not even Jewish. These issues affect us all, but, of course, on this program and on this network, we look at these issues often through a Jewish perspective. Megan, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Doug. So I know we're, we're going to struggle a little bit with sound quality because all three of us are on the phone calling into the studio tonight. Megan, I'll ask you to speak up a little bit, uh, especially. Um, let's, let's start, Tanya, by narrowing in the focus a little bit. I, I mentioned some of the stats around 10%. Uh, of people overall as a global population are affected by a severe uh, eating disorder in their lifetime. Maybe you could give us a little bit of a sense of the panoply of eating disorders that you see in your practice and differentiate that or help us understand what emotional eating is and how it fits into that spectrum.
0: Okay, so first, if I could just correct one thing that you said. And that is, and there's no real way to prove it. It's not really a real statistic, but I would have to respectfully disagree with what you said that it's prevalent specifically in the observant Jewish community. Because I've worked with um, Jews and non Jews, Orthodox and non Orthodox, and I've gone to many, many courses on emotional eating, and, and I've spoken to many therapists about it. It's really across the board. I think the reason that you may hear of it more in the Orthodox community is, A, because we have a lot of holidays like we just had, so there's always food around, and B is because there are so many resources, many of which are free to help people struggling, So people are more likely to reach out for help because there are support, um, support groups, support meets, um, free therapists that will donate their time, so they're more
1: likely to ask for help. So just okay. Fair to, enough. Yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. Let's. We'll get into a little bit afterwards. The the uh, the, the relative prevalence in, in communities. I think there's some contradicting data there, but you may be right. What what is? Help us understand how emotional eating fits into the uh, the, the spectrum of eating disorders.
0: So emotional eating is eating for any reason other than the fact that it's mealtime and you need to eat. So. When people think of emotional eating, they think of a stressed out person or a depressed person, like someone whose boyfriend just broke up with them and she's sitting there with like a tub of ice cream and looking at old pictures. That's not necessarily it. Emotions can even be happy emotions. Somebody could be excited about something and turn to food. They can be nervous or stressed about something that they have to do. And in order to delay doing it, they're just distracting themselves with food. So it's, it's happy, it's sad, it's nervous, it's calm, it's anything. Any emotion other than actual hunger is emotional eating if you're eating for
1: those reasons. And, and Megan, we're going to get to you in a, in a second, but I want to get a little bit more of the, of the definitional uh, aspect here. So when people, when you hear about uh, overeating uh, or you hear about bulimia uh, other other eating disorders is, are they are they kind of within the umbrella of emotional eating? Is, are all eating disorders in some way connected to emotional eating, or or, or or should we think of these as distinct buckets?
0: So I'm not a therapist, so I'm not. It's not really um, it's not really my place to comment. But the way I understand eating disorders, from having read a lot of books and spoke, speaking to therapists, is that many eating disorders come from the need to control. You know, someone feels like there's a lot in their life that they can't control, but they can control how much food stays down or how much food comes out or what their weight is or um, th- their behavior around food. So they're just looking for some sort of control. A lot of it comes from that, from what I understand. Um, whereas emotional eating, someone could really be otherwise really put together. Like people always tell me that emotional eaters are probably a mess. They're really not. They're very accomplished, put-together people that if not for them confessing it to you or gaining weight as a result of this, you would actually never know. You'd be like, you're an emotional eater. You seem to have it so together. So I think that it's very hard to know when someone is an emotional eater because otherwise their behavior is not affected, whereas someone who has an eating disorder, from my understanding, it would show up in other ways as well.
1: Megan, you've described yourself as an emotional eater. What, is, what does that mean in your life?
2: Oh, I'm definitely a binge eater, and uh, I would, if I had an emotion, uh, like Tanya said, whether it was happy, sad, uh, confused, um, I would, I would binge eat to try to. Calm myself down, uh, try to help myself figure, figure it out, try to prevent some kind of pain from, uh, from, you know, growing uh it it was a safety issue uh that that's what it's binge eating i, I did want to say about the issue of um, you know the the type of result or a cause of eating as control i do understand that that is uh mainly my my understanding is it's mainly for anorexics and bulimic and certainly could be for binge eaters and compulsive overeaters who do not are not bulimic, uh, but but uh, a lot of times uh, that kind of issue is associated with anorexic and bulimic, and not actually with uh, binge binge eaters. But you know, also I'm only uh, you know one person who's a binge eater, so I don't know everything. And I would eat for any emotion, lonely. If I was criticized, which you know people just get negativity during the day. Uh, uh, if, uh, of course, betrayed, betrayed by a lover, uh, insecurity, uh, with everybody, uh, I would eat to salve my, my, my pain and not knowing what
1: to do about the situation. Yeah, I was fascinated, Megan, and some of our, Megan and Antonia in, in some of our pregame research to, to find that the reasons why, uh, emotional eaters describe uh, the basis for, for eating and particularly binge eating are all over the map. And I think it's really important for listeners that may be dealing with this in their own life or have loved ones that are dealing with it to understand that there's no uh, particular formula to it. And there are some people that are eating when they're tired. Some people when they were talking about eating outside of because you, you need it nutritionally or because you're hungry, but binge eating when you when you're tired. Uh, when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're the opposite, when you're feeling energized or, uh, very, uh, happy. There's some people that when they're feeling elation, they're binge eating. So it's, it's, it's all over, but it's, it's a, it's an unhealthy, as I understand it, Tanya, it's, it's, well, we all we always have to have an emotional connection to food. We know in, in in Judaism that you know it's it's a good thing to be nourished and to eat good food, and you know food is very central to our Jewish lives. Um, so it's not that you shouldn't you, sh- you should eat unemotionally, have no attachment, but it's it's when yes, you know, you're you're overtaken um, and when it, when you, you're driven by something other than you know caring for for your body. And I'm wondering, do you do you find that it's what Kind of part of the battle, Tanya, are people, is recognizing the issue. And how often do you have people coming to you, you know, early in the process of their healing or having done it for many years and, and not been aware of what the problem is? Like, what's the discovery of process for your, your clients around, you know, they're unhealthy when something crosses over to an unhealthy, uh, relationship to, to eating?
0: So I think I would classify it into, like, three types. Like, the first type is what I call the honeymooners. Like, they come in and they're, like, just excited because when they're coming to me, they're coming to me because I'm a nutritionist. We're not talking about emotional eating yet. Like, they're coming to a nutritionist, a diet they haven't yet tried. Like, this is going to be it. This is going to be the magic. This is the solution. So they're looking at me a little bit like their savior and, like, honeymoon phase and, like, this is amazing. I'm loving what you're telling me. I'm going to do so well. So... And then, you know, they're, they're amazing for a week or two or three, and then all of a sudden their old habits start creeping up. And when I start talking about it, they, they kind of, like, it takes them a little time to see, to realize that it's their old habits coming back. So then there's that's one type. And then the other type are the ones that come in and just, like, right away put themselves down. They're like, you know, I'm going to try this, but I'm just telling you, like, I'm a pig, and I eat a lot, and I can't control myself, and uh, this is probably going to be that way also. So I find, like, that's the two types that come to me diet-wise, and then, of course, there's the people. there are the people that join my emotional eating workshops that are joining because they know that they're emotional eaters. So those already
1: know, and they're looking to work on it. And I do want to, we're going to take a first break in a moment, but I've been kind of corrected here a little bit off air uh from one listener around making it clear that uh emotional eating is on its own is not technically a psychiatric eating disorder. Um, rather it's a sign of disordered eating. And we'll get back after the break we'll explain the difference in eating disorder and disordered eating. Uh but I think that it's important to recognize that it is uh something that's unhealthy in many lives in many people's lives it does often lead to other eating disorders. It's often coincident with other uh, eating disorders, and it is an automatic uh, behavior. So we'll be right back. Uh, we're with Tanya Rosen and Megan Paznick. We're talking about emotional eating to participate in the conversation. Give us your perspective, lived experience, your observations on this topic. You can call in to participate live by dialing 718-303-9090. That's 718 718- 303 0. You can also text or WhatsApp or iMessage in a question or comment to 917-428-4062. That's again for texting. Don't call that number please. Call the 718 number. But for texting or WhatsApping or iMessaging in a question or comment, 917-428-4062. And we'll be right back.
2: And it's all right. I'm alright, I want to be okay I've seen it before, this eyesore
0: It's me oh, oh, oh. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skin care. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skin care surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've
1: been caught. All right, you're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm here with Tanya Rosen and Megan Pasnick, and we are talking about emotional eating. Before the break, I was thoughtfully corrected by a listener in understanding the difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder, and let me do my best to explain this with some guidance. So disordered eating includes things like being very rigid with your food choices, labeling certain foods as good or bad without good, without uh, you know nutritional reason, frequent or over frequent dieting or food restrictions, eating in response to emotions rather than physical hunger or need, uh, very irregular meal timing, obsessive thoughts about food, food that start to interfere with the rest of your life, feelings of guilt or shame after eating foods foods you view as unhealthy, even though perhaps not rational, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what's the difference between that? Because as I read that list, I've got a few of those that go on sometimes. It's when that happens to a certain degree, those and other disordered eating behaviors occur, and it kind of crosses a threshold that affects your life in a very deleterious way, either severe weight loss or weight gain impact in your ability to be productive in the work environment or care for your family or be with loved ones, et cetera, then that can get diagnosed as an eating disorder. Uh, so that's, that, that hopefully helps uh, bring out the difference emotional eating. Again, can be not a diagnosable issue, but still a problem in your life, and it can hit a certain criteria in terms of impacting your life, and then really be classified as an eating disorder. Now, classifications aside, Megan, how important do you think it is for listeners to, to, to right now do a kind of a, an inventory, see what the relationship is with food and eating, and, and decide, like, okay, am I an emotional eater? Do I have disordered eating? I mean, do you think it, it's, it, was, it is important for people to to do that inventory, or is it kind of like one of these things where you know what? If you have that problem, you already know you have the problem.
2: You know, on Over dot org has a fifteen question uh, 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 list uh, that says, "Are you a compulsive overeater?" and Some of the questions are, do you eat when you're not hungry? A lot of the things that Tanya said, do you eat sensibly before others and make up for it alone? So you know you go out you 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 may eat a perfectly good meal, you might even refuse dessert, but on the way home, you pick up like a gallon of ice cream and cookies at the supermarket and just binge when you get home so you eat sensibly uh, sensibly before others and make up for it alone uh, is your weight affecting the way you live your life, which I think we've all mentioned um and do you eat to escape from worries or trouble? Which, you know, kind of everybody does. So some of these questions are, like you said, Dove, a matter of degree. Uh, does your eating behavior make you or others unhappy? Of course, you know, you're not supposed to be losing weight for others. You know, you're making me unhappy by being, uh, you know, having like 10 pounds on you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm I'm talking about, you know. Really feeling a uh, very low, low self-esteem all the time because of your weight or the way that you eat and can't, and can't help it. So I think it is really important to just, you know, take the 15 question test. You don't, you can say it's a crock, you know, it doesn't apply to me. Uh, you know, just take a look at it. I do think it's important to inventory those things and say, you know what? I might, be kind of overreacting to things and then going away and hiding and binging on food. It looks like it might be a pattern for me. I might need extra help, whether it's from Tanya or Overeaters Anonymous. It just, you know, just to take a look at it and kind of identify. Or you could say, no, it's
1: not me. Megan, we'll put that we'll put that in the show notes because it sounds like that's a good resource that that survey at Overeaters Anonymous, and that's that you find that on their website, I imagine. Yes, OvereatersAnonymous.org. You know, I want to also reflect on the connection, as we talked about in your bio, between Overeaters Anonymous and the protocol that's used for uh, uh, alcohol AA in general, and also for the same format for narcotics addictions. A couple of listeners have already commented on the, uh, the, the the difference between the legality and illegality of this type of uh, uh, of automatic and potentially addictive behavior. And, and I think that's a really interesting um, angle because we're bombarded all the time with images of uh, food that are really unregulated like there's no no one says, okay, well you know a six year old or a teenager or whatever shouldn't be seeing an ad about a certain food you know five times a day, um, but they're highly regulated of course when it comes to advertising alcohol uh, for example, so I think part of well, our job as, 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 parents, for example, is to create healthy relationships, you know, with healthy relationship with food and try to avoid this problem early on. I think I'm not a therapist, I'm not a nutritionist. Tanya, do you, do you find like what, how does your clientele break down between, uh, you know, adults and, 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 and teens and where do you see problems start to really take shape in the in, in this area of life? Kind of at, at what age? Is my supposition that there's a parental role here, it's important, correct? Uh,
0: I can't say that there is a specific age, but I can say that it's definitely getting younger and younger. Um, I've been doing what I do for 17 years, and I would say that in the last maybe like 8 to 10 years, more and more children started coming to us, mostly because their parents dragged them to us, not necessarily because they want to. Some want to. Um, and their main concern is that they're being bullied, they're being made fun of, they're having low self-esteem, and that was unheard of, uh, let's say, you know, when I first started doing it for the first eight years. So it could be because there's more awareness, or it could be because there's just, I mean, there's more, there's more pressure and more shame associated with it. I'm not sure... What it is, but I think it's definitely starting younger and younger. Can I just add to the labeling thing? What you said, you know, what, what am I? Am I, do I have disordered eating? Do I have an eating disorder? Do I have this? Do I have that? I think it's, it's okay to figure out what you have, especially if you really do have an eating disorder. But sometimes people are so busy figuring out what they have, like they're so busy diagnosing themselves or labeling themselves that It's just not productive because it's not like if you come to the hospital and they need to know exactly what you have, so they know exactly how to treat it. This is a little different. I think that people spend so much time and energy on figuring out, am I this, am I that? You know, yes, spend a little time figuring yourself out, but it's not, there's not a huge difference. Unless it's really an eating disorder, does it really matter if I'm like, uh, an emotional eater, or if I'm a stress eater, or is it all the same thing, or maybe I'm just, like, rigid with my rules, it becomes it becomes all blended in together and people just a little bit took it too far with the labels.
1: Well, let's take one listener uh, comment last question here, Tanya, that relates to your last point. There's a listener, I won't say their name for confidentiality purpose, um, that says that the topic is very relevant, that their daughter – Struggles with compulsive eating, and it's been a very hard problem to address. And I'm just going to read verbatim this listener's comment, and and I'd love to get your your you know uncensored reaction, Tanya. This this listener says, "In the case of my daughter, she does not like and gets mad talking about her weight or the fact that she eats too much. In phases, she'll try a nutritionist, but it will fail. And later, she's assumed the position that she is just." fat, quote-unquote, and there should be no prejudice against fat people. I have spoken to nutritionists and therapists who are of little help. It seems that if a certain therapy or diet does not work, they simply wash their hands. So, how would you how would you respond to this this parent who's struggling to, to deal with the, probably, I don't know how old the, the uh, daughter is, but you know, let's assume teen years.
0: So, I'm going to just say something that I I hope does not offend anyone, but I'll start by saying that I'm a mom myself, and I have mostly girls. I have one boy and four girls, and I know how hard it is to raise girls. So just keep in mind that this is coming from a mom who knows how hard it is to raise girls, and I'm not judging you. But I've seen so many moms project um, negativity or judgment or pressure without even meaning to. No mom means to hurt her child. Every mom wants only good for their child. But I've seen it. It's either the mom has gone through her own struggle and this is bringing up painful things for her, or she just is a very perfectionist type of person, and this is the same thing as getting good grades. Like, you know, you got you set your mind to something, do it. What's the issue? Um, but the most important thing that this mom and any mom can do is to work on yourself. And work on the vibes that you give your daughter because girls, kids in general are very smart and you know that your girls are picking up on your vibes. So when you see her eating a donut, you may not say anything, but maybe you rolled your eyes or maybe you slammed the door or maybe you mentioned it a different time. Like, just I would say work on yourself and your own positivity and never, ever, ever say anything negative about your own body or weight in front of her because they pick up on this. So like I said, I have four girls and I have one scale and it's in my bathroom. And when I go on the scale, which is not not every day and not even every week, but when I go on the scale, I run the water because I don't want them to hear me going on the scale. And I certainly would not ever come out of the bathroom and say, oh my God, I gained so much weight over the holiday. I feel so fat. That is not something that your, your children, that ever overhear you saying. To me that's the equivalent of cursing in front of your children. You want to curse? Curse to your husband later in private or to your therapist or to your diary. Never in front of your children.
1: Okay. It's interesting how we have a uh, kind of automatic uh, automatic biases but it's that it's that listener is actually the father, not the mother, just FYI oh. don't think that's <laughs> what it, <necessarily laughs> change. okay. Okay. it changes your, your your advice, but just FYI. Uh, I think that this begs one more question I have before our next break, which is when you work with, I know you're not a, you're not a psychotherapist, you're, you're acting as an advisor a nutritionist, but this listener said they'd work with nutritionists with their daughter. Um, do you find that it's most effective working individually with the, with the child or teen or, or do you find it's most effective doing those sessions together with the adult, with the parent? So that's a or great parents.
0: question. And I, that's a great question. And I think that most of the time, that it is very important for the parent not to be in the room. And uh, actually I'm happy that you told me that we're speaking with a father because I'll just tell you a quick little story. I had a client, uh, a teenage girl, that always came together with her father, meaning they were both my clients. It's not like he was just sitting there to spy on her. They were both my clients. He he got his way in. We spoke about his week. She got her way in. And I tried to speak to her about her week, but she never said a word. The girl literally I think in, like, over a year that they were here once a week, I've heard her say five words. He spoke for her, he answered the questions for right. her, and she stayed quiet. When the father finished losing his weight and got too busy to come in, and it was just her coming in, I was, I was blown away. The girl had a whole personality. She was outgoing. She was interesting. She was laughing and communicating. She had, he opened up because he wasn't there.
1: That, I'm really glad that you said that, Tanya. We've heard this in other shows on other issues related to mental health and healthy living in general. Especially uh, with teens, it's critical to give them the space to work directly with the with a the therapist or advisor or nutritionist, and, and not always to be to be hovering. We will be right back on equal footing. We are with, with, with Megan Paznick and Tanya Rosen. We are talking about emotional eating.
0: Help. I have done it again. I have been here many times before hurt myself again today.
1: Equal footing is brought to you in part by Manhattan Medical. Manhattan Medical does something that we do on equal footing, and that forces you to think about things and deal with things that are difficult but need to be addressed. In the case of Manhattan Medical, that's erectile dysfunction. Yeah, it's hard to talk about, but it's not anything to be ashamed about. It affects, of course, the man involved, but affects the physical and emotional well-being of the couple it erectile dysfunction, or ED, affects almost two-thirds of men in their lifetimes. Go to somewhere for help. There are alternatives to those expensive blue pills. Those don't always work for folks. There's also comorbidities, other conditions that prevent people from using that modality. Manhattan Medical has a non-invasive, surgery-free, side-effect-free therapy for ED. It's called Gaines Wave. And Gaines Wave has been around for a number of years in Europe, also in Canada, more recently in the United States. Check it out. You don't have to be in Manhattan or the New York area. Anywhere in the United States, you can get a tele- called teleconsult with Manhattan Medical for their Gainswave therapy for erectile dysfunction. The number to call is 888 332 8739. That's 8883328739. 8, Easy to remember? 888 8, 8, EDQ9 is the number. Manhattan Medicals gains therapy for erectile dysfunction. If you mention that you heard about it on equal footing, you get a free consultation. that's a $250 value. Check it out. Call Manhattan Medical for the erectile dysfunction treatment 888
0: 332 8739
1: you're back on equal footing. Megan, in the last segment you were talking about kind of taking we we're talking about taking the inventory and figuring out, okay, is this a real issue uh, for me in my life, emotional eating? And helpfully, a listener who is a psychotherapist uh, advised a, a really quick, it's not 15 questions, it's, it's three, and I'm just going to read them on the air and see if they resonate with you, Megan. Uh, it differentiates between physical hunger and emotional hunger. and. Physical hunger being something that we all experience and we need to satisfy. Emotional hunger being something ah, we better be careful about and see if it's leading to unhealthy eating behavior. So physical hunger, number one, develops slowly over time. Emotional hunger comes on very suddenly. Physical hunger, you feel the sensation of fullness, and you take that as a cue to stop eating. When you're emotionally hungry, you often don't notice that you're full, or it doesn't prevent you from wanting to eat more. And lastly, physical hunger is tied to the last time you ate. You have a pattern. It's five hours, four hours, seven hours, whatever it might be. Emotional hunger, you're triggered by the need for comfort or soothing as opposed to being tied to the last time you ate. Just a three-question kind of survey. I'm sure it doesn't capture everything, but, Megan, does that resonate for you? Uh, Yeah, it does. Uh,
2: I think one of the... it's, it's perfect, but the problem is the person who's thinking about these things and essentially inventorying themselves on whether it's sudden and they don't realize that they're full and that they're eating for comfort. Uh, you know, when I was emotionally eating and had, like, some criticism or something and I would binge eat, I I felt, I felt, many times that I was hungry, actually, physically. So it wasn't easy for me to, you know, separate those things. That, that, that's the problem. But it's a great um, uh, set of uh, test questions. It's It's totally, totally correct. It's just that the person experiencing these things, if they're compulsive, they don't even think about these things, they don't feel them, they, they need that third thing, the comfort. And it doesn't matter if it's sudden, and it doesn't matter that they're not noticing that it's, that they're, uh, full, but I guess in, uh, you know, a therapeutic setting or you know, certainly in Overeaters Anonymous, you can kind of parse that out and figure out, gee, maybe I am eating for emotional reasons and not because I'm physically hungry. But it could take
1: years to figure that out. Megan, what was the the key, part the interruption, what was the key uh, catalyst? What was the key thing that, that, helped you stop emotional eating, or got you onto the road of recovery? You know, people
2: ask that, but it took me 14 years in Overeaters Anonymous. Most people, you know, get it or leave before then, but it, it took me 14 years. There, there was no turning point. You know, I just got kind of um, just weighed down by the program, which was other than me, something other than me. Controlling or mm. guiding food. There was no particular so, oh aha moment.
1: What would, would it be fair to say then? The catalyst was actually joining Overeaters Anonymous in the first place.
2: Yes, that would be fair, but it's it's not a quick process for me,
1: Tanya. We've the listener that was we've got some really great questions that have been coming in by the way. Some on the point that we talked about in the first segment about the prevalence in, in the Jewish world. We will get to that in a few moments. But first we've got we re reengaged with this listener who talked about his daughter, and I wanna go to that in a moment again. But but Tanya, to that last question, what is, is there a catalyst or are there particular catalysts that you often see with your clients? that have put them on on a road to solving these issues or a road to recovery from emotional eating? So I'll
0: answer that, but I just want to add one more to that, like, three-question thing. And this one is actually, um, I agree with me, that it's hard to, in the moment, know how to answer that objectively, but there is one that I would add on there that's actually the easiest one to answer, and that is, Um, when it's emotional eating, you want a specific food. When it's hunger, almost anything will do. Like, okay, if I'm hungry, like a piece of chicken, an apple, a whole a whole sandwich with some turkey, as opposed to emotional, which is like, I want cake, I want ice cream, I want cookies. And that's pretty easy to answer. Um, So in terms of answering this question, um, I think for some people it's when they hit rock bottom, whatever that means to them. So for someone, it might be that they were busted. Like they used to hide their night binges and hide those wrappers and kind of like do it when everyone was sleeping. And then someone walked in on them and they were really embarrassed or like they're at their highest weight ever. And they're just embarrassed of their weight or it's taking over their life. Like this is all they can think about. They they're sitting at that dinner, like Megan said, and eating healthy. But then they're like, oh, they're, they're not even enjoying the conversation. They're just like, when is this going to be over so I could, like, go to the drive-thru and, and stuff my face alone in the car? So I think when it just, like, hits rock bottom or when it starts taking over their life.
1: Yeah, and we've heard that in other programs about uh, unhealthy behaviors and addiction in particular. It's that crossover point where it starts to uh, really, really affect you in other areas of life, and it often is a, that's a wake-up call. Tanya, the listener who would. The father of the, the teenage daughter of 17, by the way, let us know the the age, uh, has, <laughs> asking again and said, uh, respectfully, uh, she did not, referring to you, Tanya, she did not answer the question. The question is, what do parents do when the child says, I am fat because I am meant to be a fat person? That's the listener's question.
0: Yeah, are we talking about, Theologically, like this is God, this is how God wanted me, or we're talking about genetically, meaning when people say it's meant to be, sometimes they're referring to in a religious sense, like this is what God wanted out of my life. God wanted me to have this challenge.
1: I'm not sure, but I'm glad you brought that up, because that'll be a segue into our, into our next area of conversation. But however you feel to answer that, I mean, this is obviously a listener who's really engaged in this issue and authentically wrestling with it. So, go to the levels at which you would answer the question?
0: So, I mean, I, I think in, I'm even thinking of my own kids, and it would be a different approach with each of them because let's say I have a kid that loves to blame outside factors, right? Like she won't take responsibility, so she'll constantly say things like, it's the teacher's fault that I didn't do well. Or, or she'll, and then I have another one that will more likely blame herself. Like, it's not my fault that I get bad grades. I'm just born stupid, you know? you have to know where it's coming from. Like, is it coming from low self-esteem? Is it coming from um, kind of like she gave up? Is it coming from maybe she just has never been on a normal sustainable diet? Like, what is it coming from? It's it's hard to answer that without knowing where this is coming from.
1: Well, the listener is clarifying is real time listening and saying that they didn't mean in the religious sense. Uh, So if that helps narrow it down. So, Again, you have a teenager saying, I'm fat because I'm meant to be fat. And, and how does a parent respond? Not so much in the sense of, of, you know, how God made us, but I guess at more of a basic level around, you know, acceptance of that or or dealing with it in some other way. I can understand how frustrating that that can be. We feel like you've reached a dead end with your child.
0: So I think that as parents in general, we rush to fix things. Like, if they have a problem, we have a solution. Like, we're always rushing to fix things, and I think that there's a huge value, and we don't do this enough as parents, to just hear them out and just give them love and just say, I'm so sorry you feel that way. I'm here for you. Anything you need, I'm here for you. Like, I don't think we have to rush to fix this and prove to her otherwise and show her the light and find her a solution, just love her and just, you know, make sure she knows that you love her unconditionally and be body positive about yourself. It applies to men too, you know, be body positive about yourself, role model good eating. Like how do you eat around her? What are your habits? You know, just like you wouldn't smoke in front of her and expect her not to smoke. What are your eating habits? But I don't think that we have to rush to find a solution because sometimes the solution is not to give a solution, just to give love.
1: Mm -hmm. okay we're going to take our last break we're talking with Megan Pasnick and Tanya Rosen about emotional eating Tanya we're going to tackle that issue of emotional eating in the Jewish community and the observant Jewish community after the break we'll be right back Listened. They that you love. Equal footing brought to you in part by Mechanical Art Capital. You've heard us talk about Mechanical Art Capital before. Are you in the watch business? Are you a timepiece dealer? Are you a watch collector? Get easy to access financing on your watch collection or your timepiece inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's repurchase program. Very easy buyback program. You can get money in one or two days max. You can do this through the Mechanical Art Capital app on your Android or iPhone device. Just type in those three words, Mechanical Art Capital, or you can go to the website, mechanicalartcapital.com, or call 833-209-0972. Very accessible financing rates, easy to access capital to expand your business, make a purchase, uh, do home improvement, whatever you need. Again, Mechanical Art Capital on your app store on your phone or call 833 209
0: 0972.
1: We are talking about emotional eating. You're here with Dove Tusman on Equal Footing. Let's get to a couple of other listener comments or questions. Okay, here's one. And either you, Tanya, or you, Megan, can take it, whoever feels comfortable. Here we go. What to do when one keeps on saying, I'll start my diet tomorrow, thinking now I have a good opportunity to eat today in a celebration, a holiday, a party, etc. My diet is always starting tomorrow. Is this procrastination related to dysfunction? Is this disordered eating?
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, yes, yes, <laughs> there's always going to be, it's Megan, there's always, I mean always going to be tomorrow. It's much easier to go for tomorrow. It's really doing the hard work that comes with today and now. That's harder. You have to take the challenge. You have to meet the challenge. You have to overcome the challenge. Every single day and time that I'll start tomorrow, it'll be better tomorrow. I'll be better fixed to do this tomorrow. You just actually have to just stop it,
1: and it's not easy to do. Tanya, listeners that might they think they might have an issue, maybe they took the fifteen question uh, survey or even the three question survey that we mentioned earlier in the program. If you if you procrastinate till tomorrow. Is that dysfunction? Should you be calling Tanya Rosen or a nutritionist or even a therapist today and dealing with this right away?
0: So, I mean, don't, don't panic. It's not an emergency, but it's, you know, the definition of insanity, right? Everyone knows the quote. Like, the definition of insanity is doing something over and over and expecting different results, right? So, where were you the last time you said that, right? And the last time you said that. And the last time you said that. And... Also, for any of us living in New York, we are so spoiled, and we have access to everything all the time. So where exactly is the FOMO, the fear of missing out? Meaning, like, when a client tells me that he was at a party, and there was, like, amazing looking, I don't know, tacos, and he felt like if he doesn't eat these tacos, he's missing out. And I'm like, I don't understand. You go to parties all the time. You live in New York City, where you can get tacos probably at 3 in the morning through Uber Eats in five minutes. Like... Why do we have FOMO? Why do we have all this, like, fear of missing out when we're living in the most spoiled, easily accessible generation? So I, I tell my, my emotional eating workshop participants that you literally have to talk to yourself. Like, you have to be your own parent and tell yourself, like, no, sweetie, it's okay. You don't need that right now. Go brush your teeth and go to sleep. You could get it another time. So just literally talk to yourself.
1: Mm. Okay, We're going to do rapid fire, a couple more questions. And I'm going to, I keep promising to get into the, uh, the issue particularly pertains to the, to the observant community. I want to do that before we, before we end the show. Okay. Here's another question. Tanya, I actually, why don't you to take this? My daughter has diabetes type one. That increases the urges to, the urge to eat. How do we deal with that? So that's not,
0: that's not an emotional eating question. You mean in terms of like physical hunger? Because that's, so. that's actual, that that's actual hunger. She's not imagining it. That's actual hunger. And I would, I would encourage her to eat frequent meals, like small frequent meals. This way she doesn't let her blood sugar spike or drop. And I would encourage that she drink a lot of water because a lot of times we feel hungry when we're actually thirsty. Um, and a lot of diabetics tend to get thirsty very quickly. So to drink a lot of water, to eat frequent meals, but that, that's, you know, it's good when it's not emotional. It's easier to fix physical than emotional.
1: Okay. W- one more question for you, Tanya. What is your opinion about bariatric uh, surgeries? We might explain to the audience what those are. Not for kids, of course, the listener clarifies, but what is your opinion of that as a solution to overeating or uh, emotional eating?
0: Well, it's definitely not a solution to emotional eating because it's a physical They're making your stomach smaller so that you could physically eat less. People find a lot of tricks and ways around it. I don't want to give anyone ideas, but um, there's definitely ways to get around it, and people still find food is a drug. For those who are emotional eaters, it's a drug. A drug addict will find ways to get his drug in all kinds of creative ways when he can't get it in his traditional way because it's a drug, and he needs it, and he's craving it, or she. So... It's definitely not an emotional eating fix. Um, does it help you to eat less physically? Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah, often what happens is people will trade solid foods for, for milkshakes, for example. Again, I want to give a roadmap for getting around it, but, um, yeah, often those solutions don't work longer term. Megan, we we met, you and I first met in the context of a, of a, a Jewish gathering, a religious gathering, and... I posited earlier in the show, uh, and I love the fact there's some disagreement here, that it's that emotional eating has greater prevalence in the observant Jewish community than in other communities. There, there are some there's some statistical and academic basis for that. Just to be clear, there's an article in the Washington Times that studied this, different communities, and and there's where, where we what we don't know is is why. And one can challenge if it's even the case in the first place. There's not extensive academic research on it. But one of the reasons it has been posited is the focus on the abundance of food uh, on Shabbat and on on holidays, and kind of the centrality of food and the organization around eating. Of course, with the the kashrut laws, and so there's like a lot of attention. Um, on food, often, often with, the, with both genders, but even more pronouncedly uh, with women. I want to start with you, Megan. I know it's going to be anecdotal, but do you feel like emotional eating is more of an issue in in the observant Jewish world, or do you think that's a trumped-up thing that maybe I'm, you know, just using it as an excuse to do the show tonight? Yeah, I, I
2: actually. Don't think so. I, I just think you know this, the World Health Organization statistics, just from 2016, are that uh, you know uh, 1.7, 1.9 billion people around the world are overweight or obese, and we're, we're just like a small group of people. So I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I, I don't. But you know, I think there might be some. Food issues, uh, I, I know my own family, uh, my mother once said after trying to serve three entrees that uh, she said you won't eat my third entree because you don't love me. So food is love, but I think it shows in uh, Jews, Italians, you know, uh, I, I really don't get that that much. Just a shame that, that people are over, overweight or obese,
1: whatever their religion is. Tanya, you you gave me your position at the outset of the show. Uh, do you think that it then it's an issue of increased awareness? Because there's been a lot of discussion around emotional eating in recent years in the community.
0: I, I I don't know. I mean, I'm part of the Orthodox world, meaning I'm Orthodox, and that you know that's who I know the most. But in terms of clients, I've had both, and in terms of workshops I've attended and therapists I've spoken to, it seems like it's just. It's, it's, a, it's a human being issue, not necessarily, like, a specific sex. It's, you know, I, it's, it's just that life is getting more complicated and more stressful. Ironically, it's supposed to not because we have so many conveniences, and people really use food as a drug, unfortunately. So I don't think it matters whether you're Jewish or Catholic or Orthodox or not. It's just that many people treat food as a drug.
1: We've had some interesting listener comments on, uh, from, uh, observant Jewish listeners, um, talking about their relationship with food. I almost feel like we should do some other shows just, just on our relationship with, with food as, as a community. And I think, if anything, I'm going to try to maybe turn this into a, into a positive. I think because we do see meaning in food, there is so many spiritual meaning. There's so many aspects. Uh, whether it be uh, during Pesach, whether it be uh, on Rosh Hashanah, on uh, other points in the year, obviously in our fasting holidays, where we're very conscious around food, that maybe that consciousness can turn into unhealthy obsession in certain contexts. But I also think it gives us a good roadmap for an, a healthy emotional uh, connection and recognition of issues. So maybe it, this is about more about recognition and discussion, which I would say is probably a good a point of strength uh, in our community. You know, Deb,
2: it's Megan. I do think that the Orthodox uh, community has a great positive in that their belief in God and their faith can help them to not eat as much.
1: Yeah. In terms of, of, um, of abstinence. <laughs> and then again, a subject for, for another show. The Tanya, I want, I want to have, as we're wrapping up here, and um, give, give folks, if you will, the, the, the tidbit of advice around beginning to confront this problem. And I'm thinking about two types of listeners. One listener that knows they have an emotion-leading problem. They heard some of this in the show. Maybe they've even talked with a therapist about before. But they haven't yet done anything about it. So what do you say to that listener is the next step in their lives in this area? And another listener... Who is kind of getting anxious listening tonight? Going, I think I have a problem that I haven't even, um, I haven't brought myself to acknowledge at all. So the kind of one step behind. What's what's the next step that you would advise to, to each of each of those people?
0: Um, I think it's, it's a great idea to read books. I, I love Judith Beck's books on um, on CBT. So I, I've taken her courses in person, and she's great. And she has workbooks that you follow along and get to know yourself. So I love those books. Um, There's also a great book called Binge and Sprint by Naomi Joseph. It's available on Amazon. So that's great as well. Um, And I think that just being self aware, the books, especially workbooks, will make you self aware because they give you like, like little activities and homework
1: to do. Got it. Megan. I have, I, I, I just because we're short of time. I'm, I hope I'm not cutting you off, Tanya, But someone who's yes. a click behind you in their journey and hasn't yet gone into recovery phase, give them one tip before we end.
2: OvereatersAnonymous.org meetings, find a meeting. OAFootsteps.com has worldwide meetings. Go to six meetings. If you don't like it, you never have to go again. Just go to six meetings nasaoa.org those are the places that i go to meetings just see if you relate it it, it would just be great to have you come on this path to lose the weight and find yourself
1: wonderful megan pasnick tanya rosen thanks for being with us tonight appreciate your openness
0: thank you good night everyone thank you She you